0: You, 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 know, I be, I be in the, in the town all day. I be, I be in the, the, S, E, A. In a S-E-A. You, you know, I be, I be in the, in the, sea. Hello and welcome to episode 363 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And
1: I'm Tristan Carcino,
0: And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Hello! Hello!
1: And we're kicking off a new search
0: this week. We are. We are also full of Pagliace. Oh, yeah. Which Baby Fantasy Genius requested for his birthday party. Smartly. Yes.
1: I mean, he's reached 11 years old. He knows the finer things in life. <laughs> I don't think I did know the finer things in life
0: by age 11. I Absolutely not. I'm not sure. Had we had Poliachi at that point? Did we 11 know it just old? is almost no, live? Almost live? Yeah. yeah, we
1: knew it at the end of almost live. Are we sure he was at right? Did it change to Zeke's?
0: Maybe by the variant, but yes, you remember we wanted to try to get the Poliacci yeah. sponsored by...
1: Promotional Pro- consideration yeah. provided by Poliacci. Pizza. We wanted
0: to try to grab that off of the audio on YouTube, but it, it was not high enough quality to put it in here on the pod. But... Oh,
1: only the highest of quality audio on this podcast. <laughs> but we are not searching for
0: Seattle's best pizza. We've already found that in our sponsor, Poliacci. There we
1: go.
0: <laughs> We're kicking off our search for Seattle's best IPA. After you acquiesced to this search,
1: yep. you gave in. Oh, I begrudgingly gave in.
0: <laughs> you got tired of fighting. Uh, we're doing it by the two Swedish language, words in the English language, default. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to start our search this week with what I consider the premier IPA in Seattle. Like, if is wow. I start this search, and obviously, look, every search this happens... We're going to learn a lot about ourselves, about IPAs, mm-hmm. uh, maybe how IPAs are made. I feel like we have probably a better handle on that than donuts. I've, I do
1: not. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I,
0: I was surprised to learn that all donuts aren't
1: vegan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, really? Mildly. <laughs> Just hadn't really thought about it. Uh, anyways, we actually have two beers here from our friends at George. Not at two beers. No, not, not from two years. Not from two years. Not not this week. Uh, from Georgetown Brewing. So the Lucille is their older IPA. I would
1: say kind of perhaps their flagship IPA. Oh. Uh, and I then wa- at some point. I want to cry so bad. But keep- I don't think I can spare the moisture. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that one until you went there. Uh and then at some point they came in with their Point Break series. You've got the Johnny Utah Pale Ale mm-hmm. and the
1: Bodie's Off IPA. So the Johnny Utah is not eligible. It's a Pale Ale, so
0: it is not eligible.
1: That's it has what we to do be search for search for Pale Ale, best Pale Ale. Can I already cancel the search? <laughs> I did offer that the we could two search for beers. Pale Ales. The two beers were in front of you, Bodie, Johnny Utah. I feel like I'm going Johnny Utah every time.
0: Am I wrong about that? Well that's what's interesting about the the start of this search is it's funny because so IPAs are my favorite style of beer. Uh-huh. They're not for you. But we're not doing search they're, for they're Seattle's best I sour. I
1: like IPAs. That's not a yeah. question. I'm just not I'm a person who likes to drink a lot of beers. And this is more an IPA for a person who likes to drink a few beers. Does that make sense? hundred percent it does. A beer. And so I, I am said person. By the time I'm getting to three or four or seven of these <laughs> Then that's, all that's, of a sudden you look back and you're like, maybe I shouldn't have been drinking IPAs that whole time.
0: There's a time and place for everything. And there, that is a time and place for Rainier Tallboys. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, but that's what I find funny about this is I simultaneously say that Bodhisattva is, again, my, my pre-tournament favorite IPA. It's also probably number three on my list of Georgetown beers. After, even though IPA is my favorite style of beer. After what? Manny's, Manny's and, and Johnny Utah. Yeah, because I think what makes Georgetown's pale ales so remarkable is the fact that they are as full flavored and hoppy as IPAs without the gravity of an IPA or the Johnny Utah's incredible.
1: I would I would take Bodie over Manny's probably.
0: I mean, Manny's if is I'm just choosing such a classic. One, if I'm choosing one beer. But that's why I'm curious to do it. The other reason I'm curious to do this like head to head uh I don't remember when the like the first time I had Lucille was, but I, I recall not enjoying it. Okay. And was like actively avoiding Lucille for a long period of time. So the question is, was that just like was that me? Did I have a bad bad batch and I just overrated it? And we're gonna find out because we're gonna drink the Lucille first on this podcast and then we're gonna go to the buddy's offer. But uh first What little... could a Lucille cost? <laughs> what is it, ten dollars? Ten dollars? It's one banana, Michael. (laughs) We're going to do this the entire pod because that will be delightful. So Uh, their description of these two beers, the Lucille, is floral, citrusy, and awesome. Anything so innocent and built like that just got to be named Lucille. But presumably it's also named for the East-West Arterial running through the heart of Georgetown. Uh, a couple blocks away from Georgetown Brewery, this one has Columbus Cascade, Simcoe, Citra, and Comet hops. I guess I'll save the Bodie description for when we come back mid pod and talk about what we're thinking about the the Lucille and and start drinking the Bodie. So,
1: we have- I think we got to drink them back to back. Just- what do you mean? Just, I, I'm not going to remember what this tastes like by the time I get to the next beer.
0: By the time you drink a half a beer, you're not gonna remember <laughs> what it tastes
1: like? I don't think so. I that's perplexing to me. Okay, let's see, let's see how it goes.
0: Uh let's get to our tests. Starting with obviously Pelton cast MVP award voting. It's out an emotional pregame ceremony where Talking Taco Time <laughs> received 2023 Peltoncast MVP, joining the illustrious ranks of the famous cousin Katie, who held this for three years. And
1: the Kraken Curse,
0: which was awarded it in 2022. Wow, Katie's
1: really kind of in a slump. She is. It's been a while since Katie's been PeltonCast MVP. She rarely comes on the PeltonCast. She had a like, minor powerhouse performance last time.
0: <laughs> That's why she's still got 33%. She appeared on one podcast all year, so as you were complaining about on Twitter, as quoted by at PeltonQuotes the other day. Uh Talking Taco Time received 40% of the votes. Katie was at 33%. You were at 15%. I was at 15%. You do so much work for this
1: podcast. <laughs> Every week, editing, making notes. I don't do it for, <laughs> for the awards. For nothing. <laughs> <I don't. laughs> nothing in response just to get voted against.
0: I, I do it for the Saturday, for, for our team <laughs> to win the championship, and that championship is a sold-out Felton Cast Live at Belltown Yacht Club. Here's the thing, though.
1: As we crown and Taco Time the champions of, or the MVPs of PeltonCast 2023. We also are the champions because we're on Talking Taco there Time. Go, there it, there is. it is. You wanted to vote against us, but you <laughs> voted for us, motherfuckers. We win in the end. <laughs>
0: we have to share this four ways with Chris and Randy. I'm okay with that. And all the and Taco Time co-hosts. And really frankly with Alicia Vermillion and uh, the... King Five, the Evening Magazine, all, all of them shared in this. But suck it, Katie. Look, <laughs> I voted for Talking Taco Time. It was. I don't want to necessarily want to say it was a career year for Talking
1: Taco Time because we'll see. But I, I also don't know how we would top this exactly. So how could we top this Talking Taco Time? Talking Taco Time, the movie. There's all <laughs> sorts of ways to top this. Talking Taco Time, the musical. The musical. <laughs> Talking Taco Time Unplugged? <laughs> there are all sorts of options. We could franchise a Taco Time.
0: I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> we still have to start my bar first.
1: Start yo. Oh. <laughs> what is the name of your bar?
0: Kevin Pelton's Bar? Owl's Place? Owl's Place? I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure what the name it is.
1: Ke- no, it's Kevin Pelton Taproom. Something like that, right? Kevin Pelton's Taproom? I room. think we had a better name for it than that. I think that was it. Just simple. Subtle, 13% of the vote.
0: <laughs> you got to really appeal to yeah. those 13% of the vote in this poll. Well, I got to say, Katie did respond in a VP fashion on Twitter with a statement last Saturday, the day of the coronation, quote, just stopping by Elon's hellscape to let At and Taco Time know they are a weak monarch in a dangerous interregnum. I'll be back.
1: I don't know what interregnum means. <laughs> Do you?
0: It's like a period between things. It's like a transitional period. I'm pretty I'm sure. I'm
1: impressed with Katie for knowing the word.
0: <laughs> it's an MVP-like like said, word, it right? It is an MVP to it in, in every sense. A period when normal government is suspended, especially between successive reigns or regimes, in interval or pause between two periods of office or other things. So hopefully we as a country are not in an interregnum I think, I think we might look
1: back and realize...
0: Oh boy. Oh boy. Well let's hope this is the only interregnum we're dealing with and that I'm pronouncing that word correctly. Uh next up, congrats to the Oil Rain on earning their hundredth regular season NWSL win in franchise history on Saturday. The Rival Portland Thorns were the first to get there currently with 102.
1: Ooh, I hate those Thorns. But not as much as
0: San Diego Wave, who are at like 12, I think. Yeah, uh, screw you, San Diego Well, if You're
1: the Kevin Pelton MVP <laughs> vote of the NWSL. Well, no other
0: NWSL team has more than 89. Uh, next up, congrats to Kraken coach Dave Haxtall, who was named a finalist for the NHL's Jack Adams Award for Coach of the Year.
1: There we go. Honoring, of course, the coach that we've all heard of, Jack Adams, before. <laughs> Everybody remembers their legacy when they coached for the Maple Leafs? Or Bruins?
0: Uh, the only person to have won a Stanley Cup is a player, head coach, and general manager. It was a 36-year association with the Detroit White Oh! <laughs> I mean, look, you probably had a six team it was a one in six chance. I you could have assumed it
1: was gonna be an original six. Let me just say I've been watching a lot more hockey, just the third periods lately. And Wow, he was one year off playing the Metropolitans in
0: the Stanley Cup Finals. He played in nineteen eighteen. Wow. Against the Vancouver
1: Millionaires. The Vancouver Millionaires? Apparently that was the team. I don't know. That was a lot of money at the time. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Millionaire? Well, that's the most money I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> what a terrible team name. No wonder they don't exist anymore. Anyway. Oh, he
0: also played for the Millionaires, as it turns out.
1: Oh.
0: At that is, point, they were the Toronto Arenas. Not, this was pre-Maple Leafs? Uh, yeah. What is an arena? Just, like, the building? I I think so. I don't Yeah, it was owned by, operated by the owner of Arena Gardens, the Toronto Arena Company.
1: So, there you go. Man, I don't think they were great at naming stuff back then. (laughs) No, they weren't. Not as good as we are. (laughs) That's for sure. Nobody can top the thunder. Um, (laughs) Is there another person on the broadcast? Not another person. Is there a person on the broadcast also with the last name Hackstall? I don't think so. Am I hearing this wrong every single time? I swear they're like, we're going to so-and-so hackstall on the broadcast. Am I totally off here? I
0: think it's just the uh, Olcheks are the only family members on the broadcast, and they're strictly on the broadcast side.
1: Like announcing the game. Is oh a...
0: no! On ESPN's broadcast, yeah. Leah Hackstall. No relation. It's pre- spelled totally differently. Okay, yes. okay, you but it's pronounced the same. It is pronounced. It the is same. It is very
1: confusing for me. Yes, okay, Hackstall is literally the first time I ever heard this name was Dave Hackstall, and then there's another person on the bro- broadcast, right? But there's also like a more
0: famous Hackstall, isn't there? In hockey, am I remembering this? Incorrectly? Wow, her name is spelled
1: way differently, <laughs> very differently. This, I mean, even his name, I. I think I had it in my head totally wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, Ron Haxtall is, uh, is the famous uh, hockey player slash executive who's also no related relation spelled differently than Dave Haxtall, the Kraken coach.
1: Is he relation to Leah, though? I think so, right? I don't think so, actually, but I'm not sure. Uh, How common I... is this name in hockey? This is like the Toronto arenas of hockey. <laughs> the real
0: question here, though, we have to find out, is did Ron Haxtall... Win the Jack
1: Adams Trophy. <laughs> I'm sure he did. You would think so. It's pronounced Hextall, though.
0: Yes. Uh, I'm not seeing it here.
1: Can I review this, Lucille? Yes, it's fine. I don't think it's as good as the
0: buddy. I mean, we haven't started drinking it yet, but I'm pretty confident it is not.
1: I I don't think this is a competitor for Seattle's best IPA.
0: I agree with that. Oh, she Leo Hextall is Ron Hextall's cousin. Okay. So there we go. They are related. I <laughs> did not expect to take that detour
1: on this particular I've just been, podcast. I've been hearing it on the broadcast.
0: All right. Lastly, we got an Instagram listener Instagram this week DM uh, from Matt Myers, who's at tonight's cracking game that we'll talk about a little later. The Pelton cast hat trick is elusive tonight at the cracking game. Has the has the Rainier Tallboy in hand. Mm-hmm. For Pictured four size.
1: It says extra large Rainier Tallboy. Is that a twenty four ounce? Yeah, that could that that does look like it's a twenty four ounce. I think that counts as a deuce quattro.
0: Yeah. Okay. Still still applies certainly to the Pelton cast hat trick. But Dojoy Donuts did not get delivered today. So unable to do the Pelton cast hat trick at tonight's craft. No
1: Dojoy Donuts. Well I guess I don't know. I don't know if they make donuts specifically on off days for the Kraken, typically. I I am
0: not sure about that either. Obviously, I have not attended a lot of Kraken games this season. (laughs) It was
1: close. It was close. The opportunity is still out there. Possibly game six. Keep competing. Yes.
0: Uh, All right. With that, I think it's time for your favorite segment.
1: Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. Short one this week. But earlier today, we were reminded that as nice as Jose Caballero has been the swag is back don't you forget bitches he is not the same he is a Martian we saw what swag does best turning a single into a double and another single into a run his skill set cannot be duplicated not be replicated not be superlified so Caballero just might be the next best thing but not quite haggerty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, Sam He only had one hit tonight. How did he both
1: turn it he turned it into a double and then a run? Yeah. Okay. He turned a single into a double. I see. And from second base on another single, he scored again. Okay. Well there we go. Raised his average to one oh three on the season. Hey, don't <laughs> you dare.
0: Uh Caballero had a five game hit streak snap today. He was playing shortstop. I just Sam I, this is not,
1: not a negative perspective about Caballero. These are very different skill sets.
0: Oh, unquestionably. I mean, the the concern for Haggerty is more when uh, when Dylan Moore is back available to come but into the lineup.
1: Dylan Moore is quick. Sam Haggerty is a different level of player than 100%. those two players are. He is electric on the base and paths. The Mariners have been missing that. I that I tweeted last week
0: after was it Teoscar Hernandez that got thrown out at second base? Oh yeah, it was like that was that was him trying to get his second when they were down two runs in the ninth, I think. And it was like, I remember when chaos ball used to be positive for the <laughs> a Baroness. good thing. And it was like it has not been lately. It just feels like even though they're playing better of late, just kind of sloppy defensively sometimes and uh not not creating a lot on the base pads the same way they were last season. So,
1: they I mean they needed Hagerty, like the hit that he had kept the inning going, set them up for the first runs that were scored in the game. This was, like, it felt old school. Like, he was part of the action again, and it's been a while. It has been a while. You, you have to get on base to be part of the action. He uh, hasn't hit that many times. How many at-bats does he have? Like, 19 on the year? A little, a we're giving Colton there. Wong a lot of grace that we're not giving to Sam Hagerty right now. Uh 29 at-bats now on the season. Yeah, 29 at-bats, like... That is not enough time. Look, we're giving Julio Rodriguez a lot of grace that we're well, not getting. Hey, do Henry we want right to have now?
0: the do we want to have the Julio conversation?
1: He's fine. Julio's hitting the ball hard.
0: Uh, he had the longest home run of his career. That really Saturdays, was 454 feet per stat cast.
1: The one on Sunday. Yeah, or on Sunday. Yeah. Holy! Cr- I remember some really long. The one in San Diego wasn't longer.
0: Uh, I don't know that specifically. Uh, that was
1: Fourth of July in San Diego, right? That sounds right. I love when people are like... They
0: said that 450 was his longest previously. I'm
1: shocked. I mean, he crushed the ball. I love when people are like, you know, as the weather gets warmer, the ball's going to start going farther. And it's like, the good news is only going to happen for us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're the only team hitting...
0: Well, I got to say this probably do some regression for the mean. I also saw on the broadcast, uh, I did not duplicate this or verify it, but the Mariners pitching staff is number one in war in baseball this season.
1: I don't think they're lying.
0: I, I, Unlikely,
1: no. This is the entire pitching staff or just starting pitching? I think the
0: entire pitching staff.
1: I mean, when you look, there was a different take that I was going for, which is it was kind of hot. It's kind of sizzling. I'm not going to bring it out yet. I'm going to save it, put it in my back pocket. But it's there, and I've been thinking about it. It has to do with the pitching staff. Okay. Especially the young pitching staff.
0: I mean, it's been a good week. Bryce Miller, another six-inning start, gave up one run in his second career start against the Astros. Which is, I was complaining about the Mariners failing to score off of the Astros starter, uh, J.P. France, I believe, who was making his Major League debut. Uh, And we had the first uh, batter-pitcher Same name, same last name. That's also the name of a country combination. Since the Jordans in 1998, I believe it was. Wait, who is this? Who who did it before? I don't even understand the words you're saying. So JP France, I believe it was, started for the Astros on Saturday. He faced Ty France of the Mariners. They have the same last name, and that name happens to be the name of a country. Fair
1: enough. I don't understand the question. It's a very and specific I won't stand, to it.
0: But shouts to Alex Mayer of Mariners PR who had that one. That is, it comes uh, up with some gems, just some dynamite stuff. I got to say. I forget what it was today. Oh, today was the, the last time the Mariners had hosted a team from the same metropolitan area as a team that was playing a playoff game in another sport in Seattle. Because they were playing the Rangers today. As what was the last track And we're playing these stars. 1998, when the Sonics played the Timberwolves in the first round of the Mar- playoffs, and the Mariners were playing the Twins. We're hosting the
1: Twins. All right. <laughs> so just fair enough. Just, That's a good one. Just terrific
0: work, I got to say. Uh Then Logan Gilbert, Logan Gilbert, perfect for six innings on Monday in a game. The Mariners still
1: lost. I mean, Logan Gilbert took
0: the loss in the game. Yes, he he gave up the two runs in the seventh. It was. I told you told you this offline last night. It was about the shortest possible time between me learning on press row at the storm game that Logan Gilbert had a perfect game through six innings, to looking at the box score and seeing that he had given up a immediately to start the seventh inning. Um, Saturday though, you so you missed this because you were in L.A. But Saturday was like a real emotional roller coaster with the Mariners. Uh, having lost on Friday night, having come back to tie it, then you know a two-run homer for the Astros to win it on Friday night, then have not scored going into the eighth inning on Saturday. And that was maybe the beginning of the chaos ball, even though this was all just kind of station-to-station hitting. But uh, a series of consecutive hits that resulted in seven runs for the Mariners in the eighth inning after having not scored all game.
1: It's just nice when there are runs, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just like it when there are runs at all.
0: Uh, that was also a a perfect one two three debut, I believe, for uh, Juan Ten, who was called up to join the bullpen last week. 10. Yeah,
1: it's interesting that the pitching staff has been as good as they've been, and aside from Kirby and now Miller, I don't remember a time that a pitcher has pitched well.
0: Like the you don't remember a time that Luis Castillo has I, pitched there well? have been
1: times that Luis Castillo has pitched well, but like. It doesn't feel like the team is pitching that well, all things considered. I mean, do you agree with that? No, I, I don't. I think that it's not like I mean, you, like, again, watch the team, D, you started
0: the game season on fire. And I then mean, we just talked about these two amazing starts from Bryce Miller. We also had the uh, maybe it just takes a few starts. The Easton McGee
1: start last they, week. They've had some like, yes, very lucky. Who's the dude who got DFA right after? Not Easton McGee, but the other player. Oh, uh, the footnote in history. Malone, Tommy. Yeah, Tommy Malone.
0: (laughs) Not, not Ron Malone. No relation. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's the absence of other than the Chris Flexon starts. Not a lot of like real bad starts in there. I think goes a long way for you. So, I mean, the stat I did have that I looked up on Julia. His OPS didn't climb over 700 for good until May 19th last year. So I don't know that I necessarily buy that specific players or follow the same trends over the course of seasons, but at the very least, it shows that Julio can start slowly and still have an altogether amazing season because of the fact that he has the capability to be that dominant over an extended period of time,
1: if that makes sense. Offering a lot of grace to Julio Rodriguez that we're not offering to Sam Haggerty here.
0: <laughs> Again, that was to get over seven hundred. <laughs> Sam Hagerty's still getting in his OPS over two hundred. <laughs> there are levels to that.
1: Hard hit ball percentage, hard hit ball rate is down. Yeah, we talked about a little that last bit way. Line drive percentage is higher, which I still think is what you're looking for. Striking out a little bit more, homering a little bit less, walking about the same. I think. <laughs> I mean, the batting average on balls in play is really the main thing. Right. And that's going to regress to the mean, almost certainly. Hitting a few more fly balls versus ground balls. Has not, Julio has not had the like seeing eye ground ball singles yet. Right. Which he's gonna have some of. I feel like
0: a lot of players on the Mariners are looking for some of
1: those CNIs singles. I mean, they got a couple of them today. It's like the shift only happens against the Mariners. I swear <laughs> to God, they're letting the shift happen for all these other teams. <laughs> these <laughs> motherfuckers are definitely shifting.
0: So apparently, the other thing they're considering is I forget what the term was that they use for it, but basically limiting how close to second base you can play, mm-hmm. because now you can still against a right-handed hitter station your second baseman like basically on second base or against a left-handed hitter, your shortstop basically on second base. So you see all these balls back up the middle that like in our brains from 1993, we're trained to think, oh, back up the middle, that's going to be a hit. But still now, even with the limitations, there's someone shifted directly in that yes. spot. No. The, and, the, then you're like, and it turns out, oh, then that guy's just going to step on second base and it's going to be a, an unassisted double. It really not, sucks that hitting it.
1: the ball up the middle is bad now.
0: Yeah. So that's that's one of the things. Uh, ben Lindbergh had a nice piece on the Ringer last week about the changes have had the desired effect start in terms pulling of— pulling away defensive players.
1: Now there's six defensive players. <laughs>
0: Power plays. Yeah. Uh, they now the... in this inning they only get three. They've had the desired effect in terms of game time, but have not yet necessarily increased the value of putting the ball in play, or at least increased the amount that teams are putting the ball in play as opposed to striking out. Which Sometimes is you something ever feel else like the
1: want. game time's a little too fast. No, I love it. It is it, I the am game time is very quick. It. But all of a sudden you look I, up and you're like, God damn, it's already the eighth the fifth, inning? Yeah. <laughs> like we just got here. I love it. Anything else in the
0: Mariners? Well, let's talk about the Kraken, who are now tied two two through four games against the Dallas Stars. They lost game two, four to two. Then came back home and dominated the stars seven to two in Sunday's game three, scoring five goals in the second period alone, including the game's first four goals in a span of less than six and a half minutes for the biggest playoff win in franchise history. And I gotta say maybe my favorite period of hockey ever that is Kraken forever. I mean it's either that it's I, I don't have as strong a memories of the 2012 or 11 <laughs> Canucks run as you do. It's got to be either that or I don't remember a specific
1: period of the, No,
0: <laughs> overtime against the Avalanche in game 7. Like those are the options, right?
1: Just a lot of, a lot of pauses on this podcast for you thinking about things. This to me was the most fun Kraken playoff game ever. There you go. When you score a goal every time you shoot, hockey's easy. Right. It's fun. like one of those situations when the weather gets warm and the balls only fly further for you. Yeah, it was goal after goal. Honestly, I will have to say it was very fun. We didn't see the darkness though, and that's the problem.
0: You could say that we maybe saw the darkness in the first period, where Dallas definitely seemed to have control of things. And
1: I famously Philip don't in the first period. That's, that is true. It's amazing you turned in for the second. <laughs> I got there right on time. <laughs> Just
0: perfectly. Answered.
1: There were was you, no Were darkness, you out getting though. food? If no, I think I was watching. I don't. I was watching basketball. I think. Oh, I guess yeah. That's right. There was an overlap to start that one. Uh, I think I was watching the Nuggets and the Suns, Suns game, yeah. but the ranking for me is like third period hockey beats out almost anything, but almost anything else beats out first period hockey. <laughs> <laughs> Dodgers Padres on Sunday night baseball. I'm like, yeah, I'll tune into that. Anyway we would have had the Kraken pulled off the victory earlier tonight where they were down 5-1. to one.
0: Oh, that would have been a whole time seeing the darkness.
1: It would have been the greatest playoff win in Kraken history out of all of the many playoff wins in Kraken history. But
0: I mean, Game 7 on the road is still going to be pretty
1: tough to beat. Coming back 5-1 to one in the third period, it would have been an incredible performance. So when you win, I'm just like, this is great. But also, I barely watched the third period because I'm like, I'm good, y'all. You missed a lot of fighting. There yeah. were so many penalties. Fighting is fighting is fun when it's close and tense. And when one team is up seven to two or whatever, it's just like, all right, let's just let's move it along here, folks. Let's, let's get the pitch clock going. N-
0: nobody get hurt and nobody yeah. gets suspended. That's the important Those are the thing situations
1: happening. when the pitch clock makes a lot of I'm like, let's have the shift. Let's get the pitch <laughs> clock going. Turn it on for that when the game isn't close. I
0: don't know what the shift is in hockey. I mean the the similar analytical kinda uh, uh, game play effect in hockey has been pulling the goaltender earlier and yet still on the broadcast we heard about like what a big gamble it was for the Kraken to pull their goaltender with four minutes left in this game down
1: two goals and it's like what what
0: what's the, Does the what's the downside here which they did give up an empty net goal eventually yeah, but, okay yeah
1: like the difference between losing six to three and five to three or whatever and not scoring literally does not matter.
0: It does not. There's no run differential factor here. There's no fun differential. There's no run differential. None of it.
1: It just kind of sucks to watch somebody score against an empty net. That's yes. it. But it's also fun to score. <laughs> people don't ever balance that. Is there like advanced hockey analysis that people should be pulling the goalie like all the time? I mean, I don't know about all the time. I But, I, like, you get a little lull in the second period, boom, pull the goalie for a few minutes?
0: No. I, I think it's more like, basically, like, when people asked me for a long period of time, how many threes should, should teams be shooting? And my answer was always, like, a five line. more. <laughs> Just five more. So, like, you know, when teams... I, I don't know. I haven't watched enough hockey to know specifically when teams would have pulled the goalie traditionally. Five But, more. like, pull him two minutes earlier, basically, is the...
1: Logic that I got behind it. How often do you score a goal when you've pulled the goalie versus giving up a goal? Like, do you score? What do you think happens? Oh, when you, you score, you
0: give up a goal way more often. Obviously, that's why teams play with the goaltender.
1: <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. if all you had to do more was often. get rid of the goaltender,
0: <laughs> like, we'd play, the, why don't they make the whole plane out of the black box? Uh, is so that's yes, that's the downside. That's why teams don't do it earlier than they do, but conceding the goal as you say means nothing in that situation whereas scoring a goal all of a sudden means you got a real game on your But hands.
1: if if Dallas is down 7 to 2 in the third period of that game they're like we changed our Should goal. they
0: have played the entire third period without a Why goal? not
1: so the, the, Is it demoralizing like, I'd rather if I was a coach have my team lose 15 to 2. And then I could be like, you motherfuckers lost 15 to 2. What are you going to do next game?
0: I feel like there might be a fatigue cumulative fatigue effect on your skaters because now you're playing 20 minutes with an extra skater as opposed to four minutes with an extra skater.
1: and But you rotate those players in and out. Yeah, but still like... A little bit of brawling in there. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> you know, the... The reason you have lines is because you want to keep players fresh and rotated through. If you have one more player out there, that's fewer players to choose
1: among. You're telling me hockey is exhausting. I am telling you that. Okay. Plus the fighting too. Yes. Takes,
0: okay. a, takes a big toll. The hits.
1: Fair enough. I do think that people should be much faster and looser with pulling the goalie though.
0: So the, the real question is whether you should be pulling your top line in that situation. What do you mean? Like just resting them for the next game once you're down enough. Like I don't think that I don't know if that concept exists in the NHL though in hockey the way it does in basketball where you know LeBron is going to spend the fourth quarter on the bench because the Lakers are down twenty in game two uh-huh. or up twenty in game three.
1: You think so, they just haven't figured it out? Like uh, NFL teams haven't figured out protecting first round picks.
0: Well, <laughs> NHL teams have not seemed to figure out tanking. They're,
1: they're just not. They don't seem to be doing. Oh, that. I saw some tweets and some Reddit posts earlier well, okay. that seemed to imply. I didn't understand any of them, but I saw them.
0: Or at least strategically resting your players in the last week of the regular season. They're just certainly not... There seems they to be more figured, of They a, haven't Dame Lillard, anybody? I don't, I don't think it's not that they haven't figured it out. I think it's that there's more of a, uh, a sense of like the good of the game. That like that shit's long gone in the NBA. That's yeah. never coming back.
1: Yeah. I mean, football's kind of like that. I, nah. it, it
0: is to a much higher degree
1: than basketball. Basketball but they will, is the most There's some games extreme. where you look at some of the players who are playing and you're like nobody's actually injured. It's so easy to claim that somebody's injured. And basketball just does it for like months at a time.
0: And yet, you, the Houston Texans still win their final game uh, to not end up with the Are the ratings
1: pick. better for basketball? What is doing better right now, hockey or basketball? They're basically head-to-head. The NBA still rates better. It, it's crushing the NHL. I, I know crushing, but... The, I mean, the other thing is that I have no idea what's going on in any of the other hockey... I couldn't tell you at all. I could barely tell you. I know that the well, the Golden Knights are playing against Edmonton. That's correct. That's the other Western Conference matchup. Yes. I fucking nailed it. Um, yeah. <laughs> in the Eastern Conference, I think the Florida Panthers are still playing. The Florida Panthers are ahead 3-0 in their series. I saw that, yes, to somebody. Toronto. Okay, they were the ones playing Toronto. Not the arenas. And then the Devils are still in it?
0: The Devils are trailing Carolina at 3-1 in oh, that series. Okay. Uh the Edmonton series Vegas now leads 2 to 1.
1: I did not realize that. I mm-hmm. saw they they really crushed Edmonton in the last game. So. Uh but in the NBA I know generally what's going on in every series whether I've like I have seen 0 seconds of Knicks heat, but I sort of know what's happening.
0: Not not a lot of baskets for the New York Knicks, that's for sure. Uh, so some good news for the Kraken. Jared McCann returned to the lineup for Game 4 after missing six games with his
1: injury in the Colorado Series. What about this question? Or was it? <laughs> yeah. You think it... Things went quite well during I, those six games that Jared McCann wasn't I there. I
0: don't think the urine theory applies here. Uh, he was part of the fourth line with Ryan Donato and Brandon Tanev replacing Daniel Sprong in that group after I think Sprong had... Had not returned to Game 3 at some point. Uh, game 5, coming up Thursday in Dallas at 6.30 p.m. Pacific on TNT. Game 6, will be back here in Seattle on Saturday night, 4 p.m. on ESPN. Okay. And somebody's season is going to be on the line. Saturday night. Yeah. I like it. Uh, let's talk quickly about the Bodies off Way better than Lucille.
1: If we're yeah. ranking them right now, it's Bodie number one.
0: This IPA gets its light, silky texture from rolled oats. The flavor and aroma both express mandarin and citrus all around. Over five pounds of hops per barrel makes this IPA truly delicious. Gold medal, medal winner in the American-style IPA category at the Great American Beer Festival in 2016. The hops here are Chinook, Citra, Mosaic, and Columbus.
1: Uh, it's richer, more flavorful. The Lucille's a little sharp. Yes.
0: And, and just like powerful hops in the body. Like there is they promised. So,
1: It's number one now.
0: We will see how it compares as we go
1: along. But yeah. I,
0: it's nice to but, confirm my priors.
1: Probably going to be such a clear bracket. <laughs> probably the best bracket you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> the clearest best bracket of all time. Nobody's going to be making it up on the fly.
0: It's a perfectly normal bracket. Find, bracket, find a new slate. <laughs> Uh, Let's talk about the Sounders, who suffered a shocking home loss to previously winless Sporting (sighs) Kansas City on Sunday. The home shutout streak ended in the fourth minute on an early Kansas City goal. Sporting KC later added a second in the 31st minute to take a 2-0 lead. Sounders pulled one back on Nico Ladero converting a penalty in the 66th minute, but couldn't find the net again or really even control play in the late stages. Now... Both Kansas City goal scorers were designated players who have recently returned from injuries. But still, this was as nearly as many goals as the three they had scored in their previous 10 MLS matches combined. The Sounders inexplicably had the better of the shot-based expected goals, according to Soccer Power Index. So, you know, it's it's tough to say exactly how much stock to put into this one. The Sounders remained atop the Western Conference standings thanks to LAFC suffering their first loss of the season while St. Louis had the weekend off. Uh, Sounders continue U.S. Open Cup play Wednesday at the L.A. Galaxy before traveling to Houston for a match on Saturday. The Dynamo, our fifth in the West in points per match, could actually surpass the Sounders in that regard with a win, but just a plus-two goal differential thus, thus far as compared to plus-nine for the Sounders. Uh, that Houston game starts a stretch of three MLS regular season matches in eight days for the Sounders, which seems to imply that we're going to see another lineup of Reserves and maybe even some call ups from the Tacoma Defiance again in the US Open Cup. Probably not until the next round, until we'll see the Sounders really run out of first choice lineup in that tournament, even though they are now facing another MLS opponent after Dispatchy of San Diego Loyal SC, which did you see? San Diego apparently set as an expansion joint team to join MLS, but it's not going to be the Loyal, it's going to be a separate franchise. Oh, yeah, so poor tough, Loyal. tough break for the Loyal.
1: San Diego's coming in the MLS though. They are the 56 franchise.
0: Someone suggested John Hollinger suggested this on Twitter that they be the San Diego Anchorman.
1: That's actually a pretty good name. And then you could his the he, 1910s or whatever in hockey could never. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he came up. He came up with a trident as their logo, and uh, well, I think that is also hilarious. The Mariners' attorneys will be in touch. Yeah. So
1: that's also a pretty good idea, though.
0: Oh, it's so perfect! I can't believe I hadn't, hadn't thought of that. Literally, uh,
1: how many teams are there in MLS? Though we've gone over this,
0: have I mean, week I feel like we do this every week. How many? How many softball teams are in the Pac-12? <laughs> and how many teams are in Major League Soccer? But I need to double check it.
1: We're we're closing in on thirty-one, maybe. They have to do promotion and relegation. The American. This is just like it's getting out of hand. <laughs> They will keep expanding and never change this perspective. Uh, 29. 29. That's actually not... I mean, it's a lot of teams. Yeah. It's just they've expanded to really weird places. Are there like big cities that they don't have? Uh, I would have to do some research on what's the biggest city that MLS
0: does not have. I mean... I think inevitably, if you get up to thirty, like at some point, it flattens out. Like, there's not that, that big of a difference between San Diego and I don't know who's a team that doesn't, a city that doesn't have an MLS team. Pittsburgh,
1: Houston, No, Houston has a Dynamo. Literally just said the colors <laughs> are playing there this weekend. I think.
0: Well, they do have multiple teams in LA and in New York as well, so you know, that doesn't explain it. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we'll we'll crunch the numbers. Tampa,
0: up. Tampa previously Tampa Admonia doesn't have one. Tampa is a pretty big place, isn't it?
1: I mean, they have almost every other sport. Right. <sighs> so. All right, that's not that big of a city. I Baltimore. thought it was going to be like, wow, we just they forgot to put a team in Chicago. <laughs> no, no, they've got a team that Damn, have the whole time. <laughs> they really, I feel like every single major American and Canadian city is covered with a, a soccer team, an MLS team, but somehow. We can't think of a major place that doesn't have one. I mean, Vegas. Yeah, that'll happen. They're going to have every team in Vegas. And it's too hot to play soccer there. It, it seems so, yes. Although the Sounders did play the final of the Leagues Cup there a few years ago. Oh, and I cared a lot. Look, we have to care about the Leagues Cup. We have to care about the Leagues <laughs> Cup. Sometimes I forget these running jokes that we
0: have. <laughs> oh, it'll rain. Beat Saturday, Houston 2 0. don't care what the
1: league's cup it'll go away <laughs>
0: on Saturday for that 100th league victory that we talked about earlier. Had a goal called back to do a handball by VAR in the 13th minute, went into halftime break scoreless, but then took the lead in the 53rd minute through the Ver- Veronica Latsko, then doubled it through a Jordan Heidema header of a Latsko cross 15 minutes later. A win in a Portland draw at Washington moved Oil Rain into first place in the NWSL. Thorns still have a better goal differential, but the two NW Northwest teams are in a class of their own thus far. Rain, Rain will travel to North Carolina to face the Courage on Sunday. Courage right in the middle of the NWSL pack with seven points from six
1: games. There isn't a team in like Sh- Charlotte or like Raleigh, is there? Charlotte, yes. is a, one, of the, uh, one of the expansion teams.
0: Uh, yeah, I think that was talked about. No, they're in the league now. They are in the, <laughs> Car- they're in the league. See, so we don't even know. <laughs>
1: Because I was like, does David Tepper
0: own that team? I feel like they play. And yeah, he does own that team. There's
1: no other sport, like American major professional sport, where we just don't know the teams. <laughs> well, they keep adding them. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck, I forgot about the Texans. <laughs> 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 oh, I just I couldn't remember that the I, Raiders
0: existed. They have not had an expansion team since 2019. MLS? No.
1: They got like 12 online coming.
0: oh <laughs> They don't have a list of future teams that I'm seeing anymore at this point. They they have a team in Cincinnati?
1: They do. Literally. Yeah. Okay, I'm just making sure that we hear that. <laughs> I swear you're lying when you say it's only 29.
0: Sacramento was supposed to come in in 2023 as the 30th team.
1: Are they not coming anymore? They are not coming at this point, no. And San Diego is going to be the 30th team.
0: Placed on indefinite hold. The... The, uh, that part of it has not yet been announced, but that's the rumor, at least, that San Diego is going to get a team. Oh, that's unofficial. Really they have not yet announced it. Okay. But it's. I think it's been reported that it's happening. Okay. All right, Seattle Storm opened preseason play Monday with a 75-71 loss to the Phoenix Mercury. The 77-70. I won, I guess, was the final. There were two more free throws. Uh, Storm led throughout the first half with Phoenix's starters on the court, but then were outscored 24-12 in the third period when the Mercury went to the bench. Storm did stick with starters to begin the half before emptying the bench in the fourth quarter. Uh, Storm started journeywoman Yvonne Turner at point guard alongside the expected starters. Jewel Lloyd and Kia Nurse on the wing. Ezzie Magmagor and Mercedes Russell in the front court. Turner has been a steady hand at the point, but uh, rookie Jade Melbourne played 20 minutes off the bench, and Croatian point guard Ivana Doikic will join the competition later this week. Veteran Sammy Whitcomb and Teresa Plaisance look pretty established as the top two reserves. Wide open after that, with first-round pick Jordan Horston heavily in the mix. Uh, Second-rounder Dulce Fancamangiatu was the highlight of Monday's game, putting up 10 points in nine boards in 13 minutes to bolster her case for making the Storm's final roster. Uh, Storm will be in L.A. Sunday for what's now being termed a closed scrimmage against the Sparks rather than an official preseason game, then back home to prepare for the start of the regular season six days later. So we are getting near Storm basketball.
1: This is a dark timeline. (laughs) Hearing all these players' names and not hearing Sue Bird and Breonna Stewart. I
0: mean, I was thinking about tweeting it uh, next Saturday. It will literally be the first time I've ever gone to a Storm game where Sue Bird won't be on the roster.
1: It is pretty wild. We are like, Yvonne Turner started at point guard? Yeah. <laughs> like, I get it's a preseason game, but well, wow. uh yeah. Look, part of it
0: was who was going to be very difficult for whoever followed Sue Bird at point guard unless that person was Courtney Vandersloot. Uh-huh. And I feel like the storm have gone so far the other direction, so as to uh, not put pressure, because no one is gonna say that Von Turner is the next super. Basically, you know. So
1: it is. I think the storm the storm will probably turn things around very quickly. They'll probably draft another superstar. They'll they'll tank a little bit. That has been their track record.
0: I mean, we'll see what the bottom of the WNBA looks like. It's. Vegas and New York are like so far ahead of everyone else that there, there might be a lot of losses to go around.
1: That's only two teams. Still, they are very good. I love that the WNBA's model is so exactly different from soccer in terms of like only having twelve teams. They just they, never expand.
0: They are going to expand. Where are they I expanding think? to? Uh, we will see. Uh, the Bay Area is very likely. Portland. Yeah, they don't even have a
1: team in the Bay Area. <laughs> they don't have a team in Philadelphia. There's a Houston. Who is the Bay Area team in soccer? San Jose. Oh, so they don't really have any of the real cities in Northern California. They do not. All right, that's in, we kind of found one. We kind yeah, of found that's one. True, I
0: guess San Francisco and and Oakland would would like be a perfect setting for an MLS team now. What,
1: once the A's leave, all of a sudden it could be like
0: just can like somehow convert the Coliseum into like a 20,000 seat stadium.
1: I mean, that's what you heard about, right? San Diego, the Padres were like, the Chargers are gone. This is our town. And I think with the Raiders gone and the A's gone, it could be a huge Glead, soccer team. At least.
0: Also, it could probably could be a pretty big soccer team right now. Cause I don't know if you've seen those A's attendance figures. Uh-huh. They're very low. They are very low.
1: But not having a team in San Francisco proper, or at least name San Francisco proper, obviously. The team from down there in football does not play in San Francisco. But Well, the team that does play in the—one of the
0: two teams that actually plays in the city of San Francisco does not go by the name San Francisco, you'll recall. The
1: The Warriors, the State Warriors. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're traitors, obviously, from moving from Oakland. Like, there's nothing good that happens in the Bay Area. We could just throw that out there. Literally nothing good has ever or will ever happen in the Bay Area. Uh, UW-12,
0: well, actually. We'll talk about it in a second here. Something good happened at the Bay Area. Except for Tim Linscombe's career. UW baseball took two out of three in Pullman, along Washington State. Precisely two runs in each game. They lost the opener 2-1 before taking the next two 6-2 and 8-2. On the road again this week at Oregon, the Ducks enter this series fourth in the Pac-12 at 14-10. and 10, A half game height of the 13-10 and 10 Huskies, so a chance to pass them. In the standings
1: this week, I really do not agree with losing a game to Wazoo. I thought this was a clean sweep. <laughs> uh, College sports madness has the Huskies is a first four out
0: for what that's worth. Okay, so meaningful games being played, certainly staying on the rundown for now. There we go. For the rest of the season, I think I'm comfortable in saying you know baseball. There's only two series left
1: in the regular. Who season Who do they have?
0: I believe they're ho- hosting Cal in the final regular season series.
1: Are they good? They're not
0: ranked. All right. Uh, UW softball took two out of three in the exact same order as baseball at number six Stanford. This is a good thing that happened in the Bay Area. There we go. Also losing in the opener 2-1 before winning a pitcher's duel 1-0 on Saturday with Kelly Lynch starting, Ruby Malin, and Lindsay Lopez coming on as relievers for the combined four-hit shutout before run-rolling the Cardinal 8-0 in Sunday's series finale with Lopez going the distance in that one. That result was enough for the Huskies to finish second in the Pac-12 at 16 and 8. One game ahead of Utah, two games ahead of Stanford and Oregon. Now Utah heads to Tucson for the inaugural Pac-12 softball tournament starting Wednesday with the play-in round. The Huskies will open up Thursday at approximately 12:30 p.m. against number seven seed Oregon State before a potential matchup against the Utes in the semifinals on Friday, with the finals set for Saturday. Huskies took two out of three in Corvallis during conference play. This is it a
1: one-game tournament? One-game tournament. This is kind of awesome. Yeah. Are they doing this in baseball also?
0: I believe they do it in baseball, yes. But I'm not sure about that. Don't don't hold me into that. I'm into it. So other conferences have been doing this, and Pac-12 now following their lead. Right on time. <laughs> uh, some sad news. From UW Women's Basketball, his former assistant coach, Kevin Morrison, passed away last week. Morrison was an assistant under both Kevin McGuff and Mike Neighbors from 2011 through 2015, where he helped the Huskies recruit the players that led the team to the 2016 Final Four, including WNBA All-Star Kelsey Plum. Morrison was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2020 at age 47. Uh, enjoyed support from the Four Mom Foundation, started by former Huskies and Mariners outfielder Braden Bishop after his late mother was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. Uh, Bishop is married to the former Brianna Ruiz, who was recruited to UW by Morrison. So certainly sad news. All right, let's wrap up by talking about the Seahawks who are hosting rookie camp this weekend. We haven't yet talked about their undrafted signings after the conclusion of the draft. So let's go through a few of some of the interesting ones. And uh, I don't know if you have anyone else to throw out here. but
1: uh, I mean, I I have some thoughts on one of them. (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh,
0: Let's start at running back with Louisiana running back. Chris Smith, no relation. (laughs) (laughs) that's podcast MVP Chris Smith to you <laughs> uh, Smith had 858, five yards and 8 touchdowns a junior before dropping off to 624 yards and 3 last year uh, ran a four four six forty, 40 also returned kicks at Louisiana scoring a pair of touchdowns
1: I mean he could end up being the starting running back for the team. like He could end up being the best running back in the NFL. Exactly. I mean the There's almost nobody else that we can name on here as the undrafted. Obviously, it could happen for anybody. But where you're like, there is a chance. There is a wild chance that this player might run for 2,000 yards. <laughs> yes.
0: All right. UCLA wide receiver Jake Bobo. Tristan certainly remembers him scoring two touchdowns among his six catches for a season-high 142 yards in the Bruins' win over UW.
1: This is the the greatest wide receiver on the face of the earth. (laughs) The Seahawks have somehow come out of this draft with the two greatest wide receivers in college football history. The most
0: dominant, for sure. Both did it at the Rose Bowl. Exactly.
1: Those two performances between Jake Bobo and Jackson Smith and Jigbo, people are gonna be talking about for decades. And the Seahawks came out of the draft with both of them. I don't know how it happened. Jake
0: Bobo literally kept the Huskies out of the college
1: football playoff. I, where did Jake Bobo transfer to?
0: He transferred from Duke. He oh, played his from first four. Duke, years at Duke. I
1: was just like, I know somewhere deep down I hate this person. <laughs> and but the thing is, like, I still am like him being on the Seahawks, like Jake Bobo, he's he's going he will be on the roster. In the preseason. And he's going to get some catches. Jake Bobo is somebody who's going to be playing in the NFL in one capacity or another.
0: Uh, Had 817 yards and seven touchdowns overall playing with Dorian Thompson Robinson last year. Uh, The reason he didn't get drafted, just 4.9 speed in the 40. So... Pelton brother Mike Sean DeGar hypothesized a possible position change to tight end for the six foot four
1: Bobo. I would like to hypothesize changing UW's nickname from DBU because they cannot cover somebody who had a 4.9 speed at the 40. I don't think people are
0: calling him DBU anymore. That was a, a Jimmy Lake
1: thing. I know, but like literally uncoverable to this UW secondary. Every single fucking play, Jake Bobo was wide open. I'm a little bit mad they didn't draft DTR. If the Huskies, where did he, he went? Kind of high, right? I don't remember that. Often. If the Seahawks were going to draft any quarterback, if oh, they they're never going to gonna
0: draft a quarterback, as, as far as I can tell,
1: <laughs> it's been one season. I guess two now. No, they've. When was the last time they drafted a quarterback? It was
0: 2012.
1: That they drafted a quarterback in any round? Yeah, they've not drafted a quarterback since Russell Wilson. Who do you think they've drafted since then? That's kind of incredible. They traded a draft
0: pick for uh, Brett Hundley, another UCLA guy.
1: They didn't draft, what's, what's his name from Georgia? He was an undrafted free agent. I don't know. Dude who threw for a bunch of yards. I'm still not sure. I, I think like, it was a Jake. I can't remember. Jake Fromm? I don't think it was. We do we have Jake Fromm for a while, though? No.
0: Had Jacob Eason.
1: <laughs> I'm thinking of somebody else. <laughs> you went to Georgia, didn't <laughs> throw for a bunch of yards there, though. No. Uh Jake Bobo is going to be good in the NFL. Not, he's going to play in the NFL.
0: Uh, Torian Thompson Robinson went number 40 in the fifth round to the Cleveland oh, Browns. Oh, it didn't
1: go that high. No. Wow, we should have drafted. If if we would have had uh, the combination of DTR and Jake Bobo and Charbonnet, just all these UCLA players, <laughs> would have been something.
0: I mean, the Seahawks' previous pick before that was number 140, where they took defensive tackle Cameron Young, who might start at nose tackle this year.
1: Yeah, we were excited about him.
0: We'll talk about some more nose tackles in a second here. but uh, So the one quarterback we knew that they signed as an undrafted free agent is Holden Ehlers from East (laughs) Carolina, who threw for 3,708 yards and 28 touchdowns as a fifth-year senior. Just five interceptions. Uh, finished third in the American in QBR, but the top three were all within one point of each other. So it was basically a, a statistical tie for first. And he frequently connected with wide receiver C.J. John- Johnson, who is also going to be in camp with the Seahawks after catching go. 67 passes, 40,000, 16 yards, and 10 touchdowns as a senior. On the defensive line at that position of need, the Seahawks have brought in Florida State nose tackle Robert Cooper, who, per Dane Bruegler, is the beast draft guide, had the nickname Trench Monster All right.
1: at FSEO.
0: And then uh, Rutgers D- defensive lineman Yvonne Maje.
1: That Trench Monster thing seems like something in Madden when it has like the like <laughs> yes. base descriptions of like seven different things that could be about players.
0: Or it could be one of the descriptions in Danny's scouting report. Trench
1: monster. No, Danny's way better at that. Don't you dare give Danny okay, n- not enough credit. Okay. Danny would have compared him to no, like a comparison. movie and a basketball player. <laughs> not,
0: I agree with the comparison. No, I'm talking about like the like It's Like got that dog in him. Uh-huh. Trench monster. Danny
1: would have been like skill position player. Looks like. what I'm not going.
0: <laughs> uh, at at off ball linebacker, the Seahawks have brought in a number of players, including. Cam Bright, who there played last season at UW after transferring in from Pitt, uh, Division II All-American Michael Ayers from Ashland, which is in Ohio, I learned not not the Oregon Ashland, sadly. Uh, Patrick O'Connell from Montana, another D two standout, and Lamont Bishop from Oklahoma State. And then, if you want to talk about one player who is most likely undrafted free agent to make the Seahawks roster, long snapper Crystal. There we go from Penn State. Who has his own Wikipedia page? Is really? a
1: log snapper. I
0: was shocked to discover this information. Does
1: it seem like it was maybe created by Crystal? <laughs> it's unclear. Uh, there are some of these teams that have like very
0: devoted fan bases. Like if you look at everyone who at least plays basketball, I'm not sure about football. At Michigan, they've all got like intensely detailed. A lot less of people play basketball at Michigan. Fair. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could name who Unum's long snapper was. I definitely wasn't making a, a Wikipedia for them. Yeah, I know. No, actually, wait. Maybe they've they've got a long snapper on scholarship and his name might be Green.
1: <laughs> Fair enough.
0: Any, any other thoughts you had uh, as as we look ahead to this uh, rookie camp? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Dynamite drop in. I was I was just gonna give so much more you know context and perspective about Holton Allers, but you know you really took it from me.
0: Jaden Green, Jaden Green is their long snapper. Wow, did you get that
1: right? Yeah, I'm a little shocked by that one. Well, I guess that's an impressive place to end. I I think
0: Christian Campbell had added
1: one of his breakdowns recently about Utah's
0: long snapper. Yeah, we'll just position breakdowns, special teams specialists.
1: So. Uh, I I saw Jake Bobo as somebody who, to me... I mean, maybe his season wasn't as good as it seemed. Maybe we're a little bit biased because he literally torched this up secondary. Well, I
0: was going to say it's especially you, because I was at the Clippers preseason game that night. So I like streamed part of the game and was also following... That was... That game, of course, took place the night the Mariners clinched a
1: playoff spot for the first time in 21 years. I was the only person in the city of Seattle still mad. (laughs) You were so furious. I swear to God. I was expecting a perfect season. And you know what? I was not far off. You weren't far off. Let me just say, if we can go back in time, beat. if UW is in the College Bowl playoff, we're winning a game. We're winning a uh, game. I mean, in the, give us fucking TCU right now, today. They weren't going to give you TCU. They were. But give... I'm, I'm just I'm sure. Yes, <laughs> they would have had to replace TCU. <laughs> UW was team. No, better they would team. have replaced Ohio State, wouldn't they? Was Ohio State last? TCU lost in the conference championship, and they still. that team was garbage.
0: Yeah, and they played Michigan. Michigan was the two seed. <clears throat> TCU was the three seed. Ohio State
1: was the four. We would have played Georgia. Yeah, I don't think we're beating Georgia.
0: Yeah, that's also...
1: I also don't think that. <laughs> I, do I not agree think, with your assessment. I do not think we're beating Georgia. <laughs> but give us either Ohio State or TCU. I think UW beats one of those two teams. I don't think they beat Ohio State. I, think I mean, G- I know
0: Jackson Smith and Jingbo was not healthy. It was not participating, at least at that point. TCU, though. Bring, bring on TCU. Yeah, okay, how
1: about that? <laughs> Maybe we could just settle on that, is that UW would have beaten TCU. They ended up playing in the college World playoff final. Like,
0: It is true.
1: Uh, but it was because of Jake Bobo. Cal Rally hits the home run. We're making bobbleheads for it. It's great. And I'm there at home saying, this was going to happen eventually. <laughs> the UW lost to UCLA was not going to happen eventually. And it was tainted because of some call that I don't remember, but I'm still mad about. See, I was You a, know the one. I not really <laughs> I think there was a pass interference maybe that should have been called. I don't know. It lingers somewhere deep down in the in the darkest pits of my memories, but the I'm recesses. still haunted about it. <clears throat>
0: I was on a podcast when the Kings like lost a couple in a row before they finally officially clinched to their playoff spot this year. And I was like, look, if anyone can understand what Kings fans are going right through right now, it is me because it isn't done until it's done.
1: It, it was it was a great moment for Kyle Raleigh, but uh,
0: there was just me me among people in NBA media. To be clear, there are many people who are much more invested in the Mariners' twenty one year uh, playoff draft than I was.
1: Literally, somebody else would have hit that home run or won a game at some it other point have. had Cal Rowley not hit that home run.
0: If they had won, like you know, just like a six to one game. It would not have been as memorable. Exactly. This is to your point. We saw
1: the darkness. There's nothing that happens in Seattle that doesn't happen in literally every other major city in the entire world.
0: Well, except for
1: MLS in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.